0: What I want to do this morning is talk about the subject of pornography. I'm going to deal with the, uh, more of the theological side of it this morning. Thursday, then, I'll, I'll lay out some biblical principles that can help you if you're struggling with it uh, or if you're actually stuck in it. You know, 25 years ago, I, I would probably, it would be like the man day. I'd be talking to all guys. Yeah, you know, at least I didn't hear any gals invited on that hunt. But uh, uh, there'll be protests start, starting at noon outside the door. But uh, you know, sadly, today that's not the case. It's not just guys that are getting involved in pornography. Fifty-one percent of male students and thirty-two percent of female students first view pornography before their teenage years. That's sad. Just some other quick statistics. I have a bunch of them. I'm not going to list them all. But 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their homes. Pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300 percent. I've had young men come to me and say, uh, Pastor Rao, would you, would you counsel with me? I'm battling pornography and I'm getting married. And you don't want to carry that into your marriage. Eleven is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. Eleven years of age. of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography websites. This is the elephant in the room. This is what no one wants to talk about. And yet it's eaten the Christian community as well as the general community. It's eaten us alive. Thank God there's a ministry here at church that... uh, helps men I don't know if there's anything set up for women I know that there's counseling available but this is an issue that that we have to address but what I hope to accomplish today is uh, two things primarily one I want you to see that viewing pornography isn't an innocent behavior you say well there's no one else around it doesn't involve anybody just me Well, first, that leaves God out of the equation. But there's other reasons as well. It's not innocent. And I hope you'll see see that after this morning. And I want to present a big picture. There's many verses we could go to that talk directly about lust of the flesh. And those are powerful verses. We need to look at those. But what I'd like to do this morning is to try to show you a bigger picture of why pornography is so contrary to Scripture and how devastating it is to the very design and purpose for which God created man. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Genesis 1. We'll spend a lot of time in, in Genesis 1. But in Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. A passage that many of you. Or maybe all of you are, are familiar with. And. That image. Involves our being created in truth. Now. See a lot of times we say. Well, we're created in the image of God. And then we say, well, uh, what does that mean? Well, we're spiritual creatures. True. But where do you go from there? What does that mean? I mean, there's a reason that God made such an emphasis in Genesis 1 and 2 on the image of God. Well, the Bible speaks of God as being the God of truth in Isaiah 65 and other places. Jesus said in in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so mankind, we were created emotional creatures. We see that, for example, in Genesis 2.23 when God created uh, Eve. And incidentally, in your English, it's an awful tamed down translation. You know... We read it, it's like, this is now bone of my, no, 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 no. Those first two words in the Hebrew are emphatic. It's like, wow, this, this. And you remember, he's been looking at all the animals, naming all the animals, looking for a partner, helper suitable. Uh, Elephant won't do. Giraffe won't do. Crocodile slug, no, it won't do. (laughs) God creates woman. And Adam is ready. This is now bone of my, bone of my bone, <laughs> flesh of my flesh. I should have said bone and flesh. That would have been a little more instructive. But, uh, but even though Adam was created an emotional creature, he was to live by truth, not emotion. Now, before the fall, there was no disharmony between those two. After the fall, there's disharmony. But he was to live by truth. Genesis 2, 16, 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's truth. Truth that Adam was commanded to live by. Man rebelled. In Genesis 3. And I, but I want you to go to Romans 1. You can, uh, <coughs> because Romans 1 describes mankind's descent into sin. And what I want you to do, the reason I'm going here, I want you to listen how it describes the fall, or the, not the fall, but the descent of man into sin in a contrast of emotions and truth. Now we're going to go to Ephesians 4. But Romans 1, 18 to 25. I'm not going to read all the verses, but a number of them. 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? Suppress the, what? The truth in unrighteousness. 19. Because that which is known, there's truth. ...about God is evident within them. 24, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. That's emotion. To impurity. 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 26, for this reason God gave them over to a degrading passion. That's back to our emotions. For their women exchanged the natural function... That's truth, the true function, the God-given function, for that which is unnatural, what they felt like doing, following their emotions. And in the same way, also the men abandoned their natural function, the function that God designed mankind to have, of the woman and burned in their desires, their emotions, toward one another, men with men. So what I want you to see, after the fall of man into sin... The emotions which is seated in the heart are all messed up. They're fallen. They're no longer a true guide for, for mankind. Mankind needs God's objective truth to lead him and to direct him. Then turn to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Here in this passage, we have a contrast between the Gentiles and the people of God or unbelievers and believers. In verse 17. So I say this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk. That's the unbelievers. In a futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And then listen to how it, he summarizes. And they, verse 19 having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality. Sensuality means unbridled lust, excess. So they went in, they followed their emotions, they followed their wants and desires of their fallen heart. And it led them to unbridled lust, sensuality. For the practice of every kind of impurity. Pornography. See where I'm connecting this? It led him to pornography with greediness. So Paul summarizes the life of unbelievers as those who have given themselves over to sensuality. Now, notice the contrast that begins with verse 20. Here we begin to talk about the people of God, God those whom God has called unto himself. And notice that the different language from emotional language to thoughts language. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth. See, we're back to truth is in Jesus That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the what? This is New American Standard Translation of the truth. You see the contrast. One group surrenders themselves to sensuality. The other group surrenders themselves to follow the truth and to be taught the truth of the living God. So what does all this have to do with pornography? Well, notice the two characteristics of truth. Righteousness, holiness, as they're listed here. We're to be actively laying aside that old self, that self that is immersed in sensuality. Now, that's not just pornography. That's a lot of other emotional things that that, that are following of our emotions, our wants and desires of our heart. But we're to put that off because it's being corrupted in accordance with the lusts, the emotions, the wants, the passions, the desires Of deceit. It's a lie. When you, or if if you don't, praise God, but when anyone holds up that pornography. Thinking that they're going to find satisfaction, fulfillment there. It's a lie. And anybody that has been enslaved to pornography or is enslaved to pornography will tell you that. It's an always looking for something that never satisfies. But we rationalize. Look, it's just a piece of paper. No one's being hurt here. Those who had my change class know what that means. That means not. Okay, we'll go on. We say, "Well, what's, what's the big deal? Hey, I'm under a little bit I'm under a lot of pressure right now. You know, a, a little escape would be all right, okay? <clears throat> hey, listen. this is the last time. No more after this. <clears throat> hey, th- th- this, is, this is one I've heard a number of times. Hey. I'm just appreciating the beauty of God's creation. It's just art. Er, All right? A lot of earns. Those are lies. Those are rationalizations. The sad thing is, you can get this stuff on your cell phone today. You can be sitting in here right now looking at porn on your cell phone. But that's sad. The lies we tell ourselves, and that others tell us are deceitful and lead to the corruption of the soul. But again, you say, yeah, but it doesn't really affect me. I mean, and I don't look at it that much. Besides, what's the harm? I can walk away from it anytime I want. You know what my response to that is? Good. Walk away from it right now. Let's just cut it out. Let's get rid of it. Let's burn it. Right now. But we know, don't we? It's not quite that easy. Once it gets its hooks into you. It's not like the hooks they use in fly fishing in the streams around here. This hook has a barb on it. You don't just slip it out, minimal damage. You tear things up. If you're telling yourself those kinds of things, and you of all people need to heed the admonition. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let me give just a few of the truths that warn us against being naive. 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Pornography is just like company and it'll corrupt morals. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? You know you can't. We can't be naïve. Pornography is a hyper-aggressive sin that's being thrown at you every day. When I was your age, if you're going to get pornography, you had to go in a store and they had brown paper over all the glass windows. And you weren't allowed in there if you weren't a certain age. Now, you don't have to leave your home. In fact, you don't have to go looking for it. It's looking for you. We were sitting, my wife, my, my son had uh, done, done the hike up uh, onto uh, Mount, uh, uh, the highest peak in Wyoming. Gannett, I think it is. And uh, he had come in the back way, and he, was showing, he, wanted to, he said, Dad, there was a guy just did this, and he took a lot of pictures, and he posted it on YouTube. So we're sitting down there, my wife's standing there, I'm sitting there, he's at the computer, I'm standing there, he's trying to find this guy's post. And all of a sudden, the whole screen is filled with thumbnail sketches of porn. I have no idea how it got there. Fortunately, my son is fat, and it was gone. But how on earth did it get there? I don't know. Now, I'm sure he hit a button or uh, some search engine put it there. My point is, it's looking for you. You don't have to go hunting it. So it is aggressive. We need to flee from it. Now, just how bad or how much of a perversion of the truth is pornography? Now, stay with me here because partway through here you can say, where is he going with this? How does this tie in? Believe me, I'll tie it in. Okay, so stay with me. Turn back to Genesis 1. Ten times... In Genesis 1, 11 through 25, we read that God created them after their kind. After their kind. But then you get to verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You hear the language? Doesn't, the the Trinity is not totally uh, developed at this point. But that's what we're reflecting on. God is speaking of of our image, our likeness. The Trinity is reflected here. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we've been created in the image of God. And that means we're created in truth. We're created emotional creatures because God has emotions. But since mankind fell into sin, our subjective emotions need to be directed by the objective truth of God's word. But being created in the image of God doesn't end right there. It goes beyond that. God is in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully and equally God. Yet each person is a distinct person with a distinct role. Generally speaking, we talk about the Father plans, the Son accomplishes, the Holy Spirit carries out. Now, I hope you're hearing echoes here of of marriage and, and what marriage looks like. One God, three equal persons, different responsibilities. There's unity. There's diversity. One of the ways that mankind reflects God's Trinitarian image is in that unity and diversity. Notice verse 27. God created man. The Hebrew is Adam. He created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male, Hebrew Sakaar, and female he created a male and female so you have one heading mankind two distinct persons who are stand equally before god we're created in it, in god's image one god three persons three persons equal to one another with different roles the design of, for marriage did not come after Zug and Og lived in a, a cave for uh, you know a hundred thousand years, and pretty soon he had so many rugrats running around, and they're they're getting in fights because well that's my kid, don't you discipline him? Oh no, that's my kid, and so we, they divided and created marriage. No, 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 no. Marriage is a reflection of God Himself. It's a reflection of the image of God in which we're created. Now we're not God. Don't have any confusion about that. But the pattern didn't come out of nowhere. Male, female. Equal before God. Separate persons. Each fully in the image of God. And because there exists intimate relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. God, in his grace and his wisdom, created mankind in his image, and he developed a relationship, not a trinity, but a duo that you and I can share in and experience that kind of intimate relationship with another person, we call it marriage. 224. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you, do you hear the, 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 the language there? You hear the image? Male, female. They leave their father and their mother. They form an exclusive relationship that the scripture calls one flesh. Diversity, unity. And it grows out of the diversity and unity of the image of God. As in the Trinity, same in marriage. There's an intimacy. And that intimacy is to be guarded. It's a covenantal relationship, it's an exclusive relationship. It has boundaries. And now, listen to me carefully here. There is a beauty and a security in that exclusive relationship that allows for the freedom of vulnerability. All right? The freedom of vulnerability in unguarded intimacy that is only to be expressed in the confines of marriage. God created a beautiful thing here. He, he, he protected that intimacy, He protected that vulnerability. We feel vulnerable. When we're just out among people, we don't know. But what a blessing. In a marriage relationship, God set it up that you don't have to feel vulnerable. And when it's set up properly, it's set up in a way that you can be vulnerable and not be attacked. It reflect, it's supposed to reflect the Trinity. Can, can you imagine... The son saying, uh, hey, hey, uh, father, uh, I don't really like the way you did that. I got a better idea. Now listen up. If we saw that, if we looked up one day and saw that in the Trinity, we'd be devastated. No. There's a freedom there that comes from the exclusiveness of the relationship. Where do you see that? Genesis 2.25. You may have wondered why this was stuck in there. I've often wondered that. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Did you ever ask yourself, where did that come from? Boy, that's out of left field. No, it's not. (laughs) It's right down the track. What's God saying? God's saying, listen, I've given you a relationship that is so protected, so intimate, that you don't have to be ashamed of your deficiencies. Maybe you're not quite shaped the way you'd like to be shaped. Or maybe you're not honored Schwarzenegger. You know, hey, you don't have to worry about it. In marriage, God's given you a relationship where you can be vulnerable and be comfortable and secure. At the same time. Now what does pornography do? Pornography is like throwing a grenade in a hen house. Casualties all over the place. It breaks. That exclusive nature of marriage. And creates a vulnerability. That cheapens and defiles intimacy. All of a sudden. There's shame connected with it. I don't know of anyone that's ever sat down, well, maybe someone whose heart is so hardened and calloused. But when people first get into pornography before that callousness takes place, there's shame there. There's guilt. They know it. There's not that intimacy that God talks about. Pornography is kind of like, can you imagine if uh, Christ some night said, well, I'm going to go for a romp with uh, the false deities of the Amorites. We're going to party a little bit. what What would be your reaction to that? You'd be devastated. Well, what do you think God's reaction is? when we go romping with pornography. It's not a victimless situation. In Jeremiah 6, 15, God asks a question, then he answers his own question. Here he's he's explaining why he's bringing judgment on, on Israel. And he says... Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. How sad that we now live in a culture where many people don't even know how to blush. There's a hardness, there's a callousness that has set in. And we do not want to be a part of that. How sad when God's creatures, created in his image, become so callous that they, quote, give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And even as Christians, that's the danger. That's the danger when we identify or we indulge in pornography. You cannot take fire into your bosom and not be burned. You cannot look at pornography and not develop some callous that you have to then get rid of. Modesty is not prudish. Modesty doesn't go out of style as new fads are ushered in. Modesty is not an option. Modesty is a part of our being created in the image of God. It can can be rejected. It can be ignored. But you can't destroy or replace it. And God designed intimacy between a man and a woman to be enjoyed in the privacy and in the protection of marriage. And in that exclusive relationship, it is to be enjoyed. We shouldn't blush. God doesn't put a divine uh, tarp or a window blind over the bedroom and say, "Up, oh, okay, let me know when they come out. I'm not trying to be vulgar here, but I want you to realize something. God rejoices when a man and a woman express that intimacy in the way in which he designed that intimacy to be expressed. Read Proverbs five, read the song of Solomon. Scripture is not embarrassed to talk about the beauty of the creation, the relationship that God created, but in the name of freedom and pleasure, Pornography discards all God's standards and protection. And it tramples underfoot the image of God and perverts what he called very good. That was his evaluation. Genesis 1.31, it is very good. Not just, hey, this isn't bad, huh? Hey, what do you think, uh, Christ? What do you think, Holy Spirit? What do you think, Father? No, it is very good. It's led, pornography has led to a great deal of pain and suffering. And it's a vacuous search for fulfillment and meaning where you're not going to find any. It's led to an ever-seeking of new and numerous attempts to fill that void that only God can fill. And so what happens? Someone gets involved in uh, A little bit of pornography. And it excites them for a while. But then, after a while, it doesn't excite them anymore. So they they ramp it up. Well, I'll just ratchet it up a little bit. Look at some harder core stuff. And it just goes on and on from there. It actually becomes a gateway for adultery. And we saw that in the statistics that I read. Now, there's much that I haven't touched on. Haven't talked about the guilt to any extent? Haven't talked about the impact it has on the future or present marriages? Haven't talked about the devastation of the lives of the women that are involved in it? Hey, behind that glossy print or that digital enhanced photo, there's a real person, someone's daughter, maybe someone's mom, maybe someone's wife, or. On the other side, husband, father, son. As I mentioned, it's a gateway to sin into adultery. I've never counseled a case of adultery where the person wasn't involved in, in, in pornography. Never. You don't wake up one day and say, oh, wow, it's a beautiful day. Sun's out bright, 65 degrees. What a fantastic day to commit adultery. No. It starts with that little peak, then that purviewing, and pretty soon it's growing, and it needs more and more and more, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes leads to adultery. <laughs> we haven't talked about the effect that it has on on how you view yourself. This is particularly devastating for women i've counseled uh, women now my wife does that counseling but how many times some guy says hey honey I want you to watch this and wants the wife to mimic what she saw and all those images are airbrushed and I tell you none of us in this room whether it's male pornography or female male pornography, none of us look like that. And so you start comparing yourself to that. It's devastating to how we we view ourselves. So if you're dabbling in porn, I plead with you, run from it. Run from it. If you were out in the mountains and you knew that a hungry grizzly bear what's following you, tracking you, I'll bet you'd run. Well, the hungry grizzly bear is tracking you, and we need to run from it. If you're enslaved to pornography, listen, get biblical counseling and get it today. Don't, don't, don't think, oh, well, I can beat this. If you're really hooked on this stuff, get help. You need help. You need accountability. You're not the only one involved. Statistics show that. It's a danger. It's out there. Now, if it's not an issue for you, praise God. But set up guidelines to protect yourself. It's not if, it's when you'll be tempted. And never, ever forget the hope of the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners came to save you and me. Now, obviously, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But this is something that a great, probably a majority of men wrestle with. And increasingly more and more women. But there is victory. There's victory in Jesus Christ. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Apostle Paul reflects this in 1 Corinthians 6. 9 and 10 give you a list of all the various sins. And then verse 11 he says, And such were. For those of you who enjoy Greek, I know you're strange, but you'll appreciate this. (laughs) That's an aorist past tense. It's something in the past. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. What a wonderful thought. To be cleansed. To have a new identity in Christ. Not a pornographic Christian. Not a gay Christian. A Christian Christian. With no other tags, a Christian. It's no longer I who live, Paul said, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. There is hope. This is a battle for you. Get help. Get help. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, We thank you, Lord God, for the mercies and grace that you show us. We thank you, Lord, that our sin doesn't catch you off guard. You know us far better than we know ourselves. There's no secrets that are hidden from you. But, Father, thank you that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't call us to clean ourselves up and then come. You called us to come so you could clean us up. So I pray that you'd be with the young people here. You'd be with each of us. To battle this temptation. To battle this sin. And to know that beauty of freedom in Christ. And to know the freedom that we have in that exclusive relationship called marriage. Where we can be vulnerable and enjoy each other in all the ways that God intended us to enjoy. But, O God, keep us and protect us from stepping outside the bounds, thinking that we have a better idea, a better way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.